0: So every month as we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit, we've chosen an actual fruit to illustrate what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Something for us to think about, something tangible for us. And I've had some of you tell me that you can't look at a pineapple without thinking about peace now. You you see the connection and, and others have said you can't think of a peach without also thinking of gentleness. And all of this time, all of this time, in nine months or so, I've been wondering what Fruit represents self-control. And I've asked people to help me, and I've wondered what are we going to use when it comes to self-control? And it was Terra Dawn who finally found a suggestion somewhere, and she suggested star fruit. Now let me ask, how many of you, how many of you have eaten star fruit? Is anyone a few of you have had it? Yeah. You've, you've had starfruit. You've seen, have you seen star fruit, even if you haven't eaten them? Have you ever seen one before? <clears throat> now, one of the reasons why we chose star fruit is it's a little exotic. It's a little hard to come by. I had to go up to Champagne. I had to go to Harvest Market and and, uh, and buy this star fruit there. I couldn't find it anywhere closer. I, I couldn't find star fruit anywhere nearby. And it, so it's a little hard to come by. And you know what? Self-control is sometimes a, a little hard to come by. So that's one of the reasons we chose starfruit to represent this. It's not available just, just anywhere. There's another comparison, too. It definitely looks alien, doesn't it? I mean, it, it doesn't look like it's from around here at all. Starfruit looks very, very different from other kinds of fruit. And in fact, you don't even really see why it's called starfruit. I want to warn you, this is the first time I've ever preached with a knife in my hand. So, someone dial 9-1 and then just hold on to the next one, just in case. Uh, so you don't even get to really see why it's called starfruit, fruit. I feel like I'm trying to sell Ginsu knives right now. It slices, it dices. Until you get into the heart of it, you see? There's people in the back, can you see? I told the people in the back that the seats up front, did you know the seats up front are free? Did you know that? They don't cost you anything if you sit up front. Anyway, so the, uh, the star fruit, you don't see why it's called starfruit until you actually get into the heart of it. And sometimes you may not see what self-control is all about, until you get into the middle of it, until you really, really get into it and get to the heart of it. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And today, that seems pretty alien to our world, and it seems even pretty alien among Christians. The fact is, when we talk about self-control, more often than not, we kind of joke about it, don't we? We make it into a joke. This is my second trip back to the buffet. This is my third trip back to the buffet. It's my second trip to the dessert table. I, I have no self-control. But you know, it's about, more than, it's about more than just overeating, right? I mean, self-control is about overspending. It's about the addictions that we have, addictions to smoking and drinking, maybe gambling, maybe other kinds of addiction. Addiction. It's bigger than just overeating. It's about those behaviors that we are ashamed of doing, those behaviors that we are ashamed to even admit that we are done, that we've done. And self-control can mean the difference between a productive, dedicated, and committed Christian life and a life that is floundering and, and directionless and aimless and lost. And here it is in the list of the fruit of the Spirit here it is in a list of virtues that are essential to our identity as Christians. So how do we define self-control? You know, I I like to go to the Greek every now and then, and the Greek is no help at all because the Greek word for self-control, it means to control oneself. Well, that's great. Thank you. But it, it carries that idea of that you have power over yourself and, and through that power over yourself you can persevere no matter what comes up against you you have steadfastness when you need steadfastness you have restraint when you need strength re- restraint but but we can't forget it's also in a list that we call the fruit of the spirit a very selfless list and so it isn't just about discipline, it's not just about having the discipline to, to stay on our diets, it's about it and overcoming bad habits, it's, it's about devotion, it's about devotion to God. We're going to look at a little passage in Acts chapter 24, just a few verses, verses 22 through 27, it's on page 934 in those Bibles in front of you, page 934, if you've got your, your Get your smartphone with you and you've got the Bible app, the Uversion app. Uh, we have an event set up for today and you have all of my notes right there. We don't get to this part of the Bible very often. We don't come to this part of, of Acts very often. So let me give you a little bit of a recap. Here at the, at, towards the end of the, of the book of Acts, Paul is in prison, but that's okay. That's been part of his plan the whole time. Jesus has revealed to Paul that he will preach someday in Rome. He will go all the way to Rome. And really one of the easiest ways for Paul to get to Rome is for Paul to be arrested and and to await a trial and to go through the whole series of trials until he finally appears in Rome. But here in, in chapter 24, he is being held by Governor Felix. Felix was the governor, the Roman governor over the Jewish province of Judea. Judea is where where Jerusalem is, so he's kind of in that that area. His kind of th- that that area around Jerusalem. He's being held by Governor Felix. Felix is a very powerful man. If Felix were approached correctly, if if money was promised, if he was approached with a bribe, Felix could set Paul free. But Paul is using this opportunity to preach the gospel and to tell Felix about Jesus. And so we pick up. In verse 22 of Acts chapter 24, it says of Felix, it says, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, and and you notice the word way is capitalized. That's what they called Christianity at that time. Having a rather accurate knowledge of what Christians believed. Felix put them off, saying "When, when, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. And then he gave orders to the centurion that he, that is that Paul, should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Isn't that nice of him? He says it's okay if Paul has friends visit. Why does he want Paul's friends to visit? He he thinks Paul has money. He thinks Paul has a fortune somewhere, and he's hoping that that one of Paul's friends will bring some money and maybe another friend will bring some money and eventually they'll have enough money to bribe Felix and and set Paul free. He he doesn't know Paul very well. Paul Paul doesn't have a a fortune anywhere. So verse 24 says, after some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla who was Jewish and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus and he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, "Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you." And at the same time he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. And when 2 years, 2 years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, <laughs> Felix left Paul in prison. <laughs> There's a lot going on in this passage. And in, in verse 24, it says that that, that Paul uh, came to Felix and Paul spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. And verse 25 says, and he reasoned, and as he reasoned about righteousness and self control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. There is a lot in that one sentence that we need to unpack. And one of the things I'd want you to notice is that Paul reasons with Felix. Faith ought to be reasonable. Paul engaged his mind. This was not just a feel-good message where we talk about how the Holy Spirit will come upon you and, and you will feel convicted and you will feel the joy and the peace from the Lord. No, this is a reasonable thing. Paul wanted to engage his mind. Don't ever disengage your mind when it comes to faith. He wanted Felix to think this through. It's not just about emotion. But I want you to look at the topics that Paul reasoned with him about. It says righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. When Paul presented the message of faith in Jesus Christ, he included an appeal to self-control. And that tells us right there that self-control is part of our faith. Self-control is part of the Christian message. You look at the other elements that Paul reasoned with him about. He reasoned with him about righteousness. That means righteousness is, is the means of being right before God. Righteousness is the means of, of God seeing you sinless in His presence. Now, you, you can't do that on your own, right? You cannot be sinless in God's presence simply on your own. That's the good news though. Jesus gives you His righteousness. There's a song we sing, I think it's Christ the Solid Rock, and one of the lines in that song is, dressed in His righteousness alone, I am faultless to stand before the throne that's the only way you're faultless to stand before the throne if you are dressed in Christ's righteousness now the other element on the other end he talks about the coming judgment he says judgment day is coming Jesus will return someday and on that day every one of us will give an account for what we have done every one of us will give an account for what we have done and what we have left undone the way that we have lived our lives And on that day, on judgment day, you do not want to try to stand before your judge, your righteous judge, in your own righteousness. You will fail. And so sandwiched between righteousness and the coming judgment, what do we find there in the middle? We find self-control. Self-control is an essential part of our faith. It is essential to the message that we have for our world. and In fact, this message to Felix is just one of the many times you will see these three three themes preached together. Righteousness, self-control, and the coming coming judgment. You see these preached together many times in Scripture. In fact, preachers have come to call this the three tenses of the Gospel. That's what we call it, the three tenses of the Gospel. You know tenses, right? There is past tense, there is present tense, and there is future tense. The past tense is who we used to be. The past tense refers to who we were. We were unrighteous before Christ stepped in. The future tense is that we don't face judgment alone. We are covered by Christ's righteousness. We are covered by His blood. We are covered in His sacrifice. But there's also the present tense. Today we live a life of devotion to God. Today we live a life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul preaches this a lot. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to his friends in verses 1 through 5, and he says, And you were, you hear the past tense? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's past tense. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. And how did we live? We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature wrath like the rest of mankind. And Paul says that cannot be your present condition. You cannot continue carrying out the desires of your body and mind. That cannot be our present tense. And then he goes on and says, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. There's your future. That's the future tense. It is by grace that you have been saved from judgment. Our message, the Gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ contains self-control. And when we forget that, When we forget that self-control is part of the Gospel, people notice. You see, it's not just that self-control is part of our message. Self-control is part of our witness. People expect to see Christians as self-controlled people. Like it or not, the world around us expects Christians to have a different kind of character. They expect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They expect those things out of us. And they notice when we don't live up to those. And right or wrong, they judge us when we don't live up to that. They notice our hypocrisy. Now whether that's the hypocrisy of a televangelist who, who is asking for $54 million so he can buy the latest and greatest jet plane... Or whether that's the hypocrisy of the Christian down the road, the person who attends the church down the road who's living a life that is completely out of control, who's living a life of anger and rage and lust and fighting and dividing and doing all of those things. And they will call us on that. And they will judge us by what they see on this list. And they will judge us when they don't see what's on that list in our lives, and they have every right to do that. There's a couple of very interesting mentions about Governor Felix in this passage. I don't know if you caught these or not. Verse 22 says of Governor Felix, he had a rather, I like the way he put it, he had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. And you notice that the word way is capitalized in your Bible. During this period of history, they still didn't know what to call Christians yet. They hadn't decided what they were going to call us. In Antioch, we were being called Christians, and a few other places, that name was catching on, and they knew that we were a church, but but, but there were lots of churches. Church just means gathering. There were a lot of people who were gathering for a lot of different reasons, so they didn't know what to call Christians. A lot of us were Jewish. Some of us weren't. They were bringing more Gentiles in, so they called us the way. They said, Jesus, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They said they preach about the way of salvation, so let's just call these people the way. And it says of Felix, he had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. He understood the church. He understood Christians. He knew what they believed. He knew how they lived. He knew their values. He knew their virtues. And he knew that they lived by self-control. And so he hears Paul's message there in verse 25. He hears that message of righteousness, self control, and the coming judgment. And it says there in verse 25, it says, Felix was alarmed. And he said to Paul, Go away. Go away for the present. If you're reading the NIV, the NIV says he was afraid. The Greek word there, The Greek word there means he was terrified. Now, Paul's in prison. Paul has no power at this moment at all. Why on earth was the governor of the entire province, why was he terrified by what Paul said? He was terrified of what the gospel message was calling him to. He was convicted by the Holy Spirit about what the gospel message was calling him to. Now now what we know of Felix, what we know of Felix is that he was a Roman. He was a, a high-standing Roman. he's the governor. He's married to Drusilla, who is Jewish. By the way, Drusilla is his third wife, OK? And what we know historically of Felix and Drusilla is this seems to be a marriage that was based on power. It was based on, on social climbing. This was a marriage that was based on greed and lust. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's, there's still marriages like that out there. You see a lot of them on TV. This was a marriage based on power and lust and social climbing and greed. And so when Paul explains the Gospel to Felix, including a message about self-control and the reality of judgment, Felix is convicted and he knew he didn't live up to that, and he says, go away. Go away. I don't want to hear anymore. He wanted no part of it. remember one night many years ago sharing the Gospel with a friend of mine. Telling a friend of mine about freedom in Jesus and forgiveness of sins. Telling that they didn't have to worry about their sin anymore and and the promise of heaven. And in that Gospel presentation and in the way that I shared faith in Jesus, I mentioned self-control. And I mentioned that you have to live a different life. You have to have different standards as a Christian. And my friend said, no thank you. I don't don't want anything to do with that. That's too hard. And and that's not what I want to do with my life. And and that was heartbreaking. But at the same time, I I appreciated that. I appreciated it so much more than the half-hearted commitment I see from a lot of Christians. Because (laughs) so so many Christians seem to hope that God grades on the curve. You know what I mean? They kind of hope that God grades on the curve. I know I'm not the best Christian, but as long as there's someone worse than me, maybe He won't notice me as much. You know, maybe, maybe He'll grade on the curve. And I know I shouldn't do these things, but, but that's what grace is for anyway. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Let, let's just hope that I can get by with this and I'll just go on sinning and doing what I want. No concern for self-control. No concern for that call to holiness. And no concern for what that looks like to people outside the church, and that is simply hypocrisy. And if we, if we could just trust God, if instead we could just trust Him, if we would just hold to Him tightly, what we would see is that self-control is also part of our promise. Self-control is honored and it is empowered by God. You know, the Greeks valued self-control. The Greeks saw self-control as one of the highest of all virtues. They thought that self-control was the foundation for the other virtues that you had. And so you needed self-control if you were going to have other virtues. The, 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 the Stoics believed that, that self-control was, was absolutely essential, which, which leads us to ask a very important question. Why is it last in Paul's list? If it's so important to the Greeks, if self-control is essential... Why did Paul put it all the way to the very end? Why did he make it the last one in his list? I've mentioned this many times. We've said this many times. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about who we are. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Jason. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Eric. And if you are going to pick up your cross and follow Jesus, self cannot be first. Self cannot be at the center. Now I want to make sure you understand, that is not to say, as I have heard preachers preach before, that is not to say that when you encounter the word self-control in the Bible, you just remember that what it really means to a Christian is spirit control. I've heard Christian preachers say that. The word self-control in the Bible to a Christian, it really means spirit control. And you just pray that the Holy Spirit would take hold of you, and the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to protect you from all of these horrible things. I'm sorry, that's not how it works. That's never how it works. There's a reason it's called discipline. Because yeah, no one wants to do it, right? There's a reason it's called discipline. Sometimes it hurts. It's hard to do. But it's worth it. Self-control is setting aside what you want now for yourself so that you can fall in love with something better. William Barclay, an old-time preacher and teacher, William Barclay said, self-control is that great quality which comes to a man when Christ is in his heart. That quality which makes him able to live and walk in the world and yet keep his garments unspotted from the world you can't hear that definition of self-control without recognizing the closeness of Jesus can you did you hear it it is that great quality which comes to a man when Christ is in his heart that quality which makes him able to live and walk in the world and yet keep his garments unspotted from the world and as you grow in self-control you grow in your closeness to Christ you know his heart. You know His presence. You know His presence just as you do when you grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is just as much a part of the fruit of the Spirit as all these others. And you know, if I said to you, if I said to you, I know a person who's a Christian, I know a person who says they're a Christian. They're in church every week. They they come every Sunday. They, they, They give their money. They give their time. This person's a Christian, but they don't love people. You would say, well, that person's not a Christian then. Now, I want you to understand, that's not being judgmental. Jesus said, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another right so if we saw someone who claimed to be a christian and yet was not loving at that point we would stop and say that person's not a christian if i said i know a person who's a christian but they're not joyful they are down on everything they are never joyful you would say well that person has a problem because the joy of the lord is your strength according to the bible right it says the joy of the lord is your strength right up there nehemiah 8 verse 10 so that person doesn't have any strength in their faith that person's faith isn't quite real is it If I said, I know a person who is a Christian, but they are not kind, you would say, well, they've missed the boat. Christians are supposed to be kind. It is kindness that leads people to repentance. And and we're supposed to show the kindness of God. So if I said, I know a person who's a Christian, but they're not self-controlled. I know a person who's Christian, but they're not self-controlled. They are running wild. They are saying everything they want. They are doing everything they want. They are sinning every way they want. They are rampantly sinning you would say, eh, ah, you know, we all make mistakes. We're not called to be perfect. We're just called to be, to be forgiven. Let them live their own life. They're, they're not hurting anyone. It's part of the list. You can't be the person you're called to be without self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control is essential to your identity as a Christian. It is just as essential as God's grace that, that gives you His righteousness, as Christ's sacrifice that, that covers you in His righteousness. It is just as essential as you calling on the name of the Lord, calling on the name of Jesus to be saved. But what I would never want you to miss when it comes to this fruit is, is there is one who wants to live in us. There is one who wants to make us capable of doing this in his honor. And when we trust him, when we cling to Jesus, then we can give ourselves away. Then we can live lives of self-control. And the reality is, I can't do this by myself. You can't do this by yourself, can you? you? You can't do this by yourself. I'll admit that for me. I'll admit it for you. I need help. If I ever think that this is about Brett having enough willpower to to not sin, I have missed the point. I have missed the reason for this being a part of a list called the fruit of the Spirit. It's about Christ's presence. It's about Jesus' presence in me, holding me to His likeness, holding me to His character, holding me to His righteousness. You can't do that on your own. You know that. But thank God none of us are ever on our own. That's what we remembered earlier today. We're never on our own. That's what we remembered earlier when we came to this table. We took the cup together. We took the bread together. We took them together. It's a family covenant. We are one, and we are here for each other. Now in just a moment, I'm going to pray. <laughs> and in a, in a moment, we're going to pray. Some of you some of you are leaving. Some of you are sticking around to, to share a meal and to share the work of packing up those shoeboxes. But Hannah's heading out to the entry area and Hannah has something for you in the entry area. Not a lot, so you know, kind of be careful here, but we've got a few pieces of, of star fruit out in the entry area today. If you've never had star fruit, we just want to give you a chance to taste one and, and try it if you've never tasted it. Uh, I'll warn you, it's not quite ripe right now, <laughs> so it's a little tart, but, but that's okay. you will be okay. I do want to warn you also, for those of you that have kidney problems... You're supposed to stay away from star fruit. That does not mean you have to stay away from self-control, mind you. You, you know more than anyone that you've got to have self-control, don't you? But, but star fruit has an enzyme that is apparently kind of like with a lot of other fruit, like grapefruit and others. You've got to be really cautious if you have kidney problems. So I will warn you up front. But I, I, I wanted you guys to taste what star fruit is like. And, and, and the best way to eat star fruit is to share it, to slice it up and to, to share it with one another. And I just want to invite you after, as you go out into the entry area, grab a slice and enjoy a, just one slice off of the star fruit and remo- let that be a reminder. Self-control is not about being alone. Self-control is never about being alone. It is about how we support each other. It is about how we encourage each other. It's about how we look for the image of Christ in one another. Let's stand together and pray. Father, today, today maybe more than any of the other fruit that we've examined, today we are very aware of our emptiness when it comes to the fruit of self-control. And we are aware of what we lack. We are aware of, of who we aren't. Of who we aren't yet. Father, as discouraged and disgraced as we might feel at times, let us never forget that you haven't abandoned us. You haven't cut us off from your presence. And that as surely as we know your Spirit's presence in spurring us on in love, we can know his presence in self control. And I pray we can honor you with this fruit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.